jump in with a story this morning. One of the things about me is my love language. Uh, do you, does anybody know what your love language is? Uh, I love gifts. And so, like, when my wife goes to the store, like, she goes grocery shopping, she knows she needs to throw a little something of candy or something for me because I just love gifts and it speaks so much love to me. Uh, last year around this time, uh, around Christmas time, uh, we got the, we, we got a great gift. We got the gift uh, of a board game called Yakimopoly. Yakimopoly? Yakimopoly? Okay, think about Monopoly, but all based on Yakima. So you're driving, you're going around the board game and you get to buy the Greenway and you get to buy Apple Tree Resort. And instead of landing on the, you know, the, the little spot where if you land, you get, pay taxes and it's like 175 bucks. Well, instead of landing on taxes, you land on the, the, the county fair. And instead of 175 bucks, it's realistic. It's like a thousand bucks that you got to pay. But uh, we got this game last year and, and we played it a few times. And of course, I beat the kids because I'm ruthless against the children. I want them to understand this is how society works, right? And so I will trade crazy with them to get what I want. Uh, don't judge me. Well, the funny thing is about this game, as much as I like games, uh, this game in the last 10 months has sat hidden in a closet. It's tucked away in a closet with a bunch of other board games uh, in a spot that most of us probably haven't even thought about. It's just sat in the closet, hidden away, out of sight, out of mind. Honestly, as I think about this gift, how many of us in this room live our faith in that way? That God has given us gifts, that God has given us gifts, and we live our faith with that gift still locked in a closet, unused, Rarely thought about, left there. I mean, I would say that there's many of us that, that don't even know what our gifts are. We don't understand how to use our gifts. We don't understand where they are and how they're supposed to function in the local church. Uh, this fall, we've been in this series looking at the Holy Spirit, trying to get an under-biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, about the role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives as individuals, and the role the Holy Spirit plays in the life of our church. And so we've had this opportunity to have these discussions about who the Holy Spirit is, on what he does. What he does. The last two weeks have been really fun. I, I've had the chance to just preach to myself, and it's been really encouraging to me, uh, trying to remind myself that, 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 man, as much as I want to see God do this amazing work, as much as I want to, desperate to see God doing something, I want to see an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want to see an outpouring of God doing what only he can do. And it was preaching to myself, but it doesn't come because we have better programs. It doesn't come because I preach better sermons. It doesn't come because we have better leadership. It's based on us recognizing our great need of him. Us recognizing that he is incredibly willing and able. That when we recognize these things, that we become desperate uh, in prayer. Desperate of saying, God, we need you here. We have a commitment to the word of God and we, we have repentance. And when we see those things, that is when we see God revive his work and pour out his spirit and do something beautiful and powerful and miraculous right in our mix, right in our lives, right in our church, right in our story. And we're going to continue this month on the series of the Holy, Holy Spirit and trying to continue having these conversations. And this month, we're going to have conversations uh, centered around these spiritual gifts. Now, I want to just extend just a word of caution. 
Because when we start talking about the spiritual gifts, these oftentimes these conversations can be highly contentious. These conversations can be divisive. And, and, and there can be disagreements that come out of these conversations based on the uh, spiritual gifts. In fact, there have been denominations that have started over the disagreements specifically on these issues on how do we view the whole the, the spiritual gifts. And the reason I think there becomes so much disagreement over the spiritual gifts is because similar to the Holy Spirit, there's this pendulum that swings either way. There's this pendulum that swings to two different sides. And on one side, you've got this side over here, and these are people that highly value the Word of God. They're going to be in the Word of God, and, and that's going to be where they, where they stray. They have this emphasis on doctrine, on strong doctrine. And uh, oftentimes when you lean to this side and the pendulum's over here, sometimes you underemphasize the Holy Spirit. In fact, they believe in the Trinity. They believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Book. And that's kind of this pendulum swing over here, right? And this group, uh, in terms of spiritual gifts, they created this theology, this doctrine called cessationist, cessationism. And this is the belief that the, the sign gifts, the spiritual gifts uh, that involve prophecy and tongues and healing gifts, um, they ceased to exist after the last apostle of Jesus died. And so they would say that the death of the last apostle who walked on the earth, when he died, the, the sign gifts died with him. They ceased to exist. They vanished. On the other side, there's a pendulum that swings on this other side, and it leans towards this, this uh, charismatic side, this Pentecostal side. And this is a group that, that, that so much, so oftentimes, everything is about the Holy Spirit, where it's Holy Spirit, everything. And, and sometimes this group over here, just as this group is sometimes accused of, of uh, underemphasizing the Holy Spirit, sometimes this group is accused of rejecting the sufficiency of the Word of God because we have the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us. On that side, they created a, a term relating to the, whole, to the spiritual gifts, uh, this term called continuationism. And that is a belief that, that the, the spiritual sign gifts continue into this present day and age including those weird spiritual gifts that sometimes make us nervous, like tongues and prophecy. One of the things I would say about our church is I love the diversity of our church. When I begin to look at who the Lord has brought to us, I mean, we've got people that grew up in the Nazarene background, that grew up Catholic, that grew up uh, agnostic. We've got all this great diversity. And it was almost one of the things that Jake and I said this week with, with all the people that have a Baptist background and a Reformed background and a Pentecostal background, you could say that our church was predestined to speak in tongues at a potluck dinner. Because that's our diversity. Again, when we start having conversations about the Holy Spirit, about the spiritual gifts, there are some of us in this room that we're feeling a little bit anxious. There's a fear inside of us that, that the fear is that we, as we go and talk about the Holy Spirit, as we talk about the spiritual gifts, that we're going to begin to disregard the Word of God. We're going to diminish the word of God. We're going to start baptizing cats. And there's going to be chaos happening all around the place. And there's that fear of where are we going. On the other side, other people are saying, man, I hope you go all out. Like, I hope there's fireballs coming out of the sky. I hope everybody speaks in tongues. I hope, pastor, I hope you levitate across the room. Let me tell you what. Uh, you're both going to be wrong. Both sides of that. 
Uh, Restoration Church, we have planted six and a half years ago, and we have this desire to be uh, robust theologically. That we're going to be a church that is rooted in the supremacy of God's word. And I've told you this again and again. Like, I'm not that interesting. I'm not that smart. I don't have that many stories. What I have is the word of God. And we're always going to come back to the sufficiency of the word of God. We're Bible people is what we are. This is why when we have these conversations about Holy Spirit, this is why we say, well, what, is, what, is, what does God say about the Spirit? And Ephesians 6 says that we are, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against evil powers of darkness in this world, spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realm. That yes, there is a spirit of God, but there's also these evil spirits around us. And so when we are talking about the Holy Spirit, again, 1 John says we are to test the spirits to determine whether they are actually from God or not. And so as people of the word of God, this is what we're going to take seriously. But let me just say this. Just as we are rooted in the sufficiency of the word of God, that we're going to embrace the sufficiency of God's word as it reveals to us the spiritual gifts that come from God. That, that God has, has given these gifts to the church in this day for the same purposes that God gave these gifts to the church in the first century. And that's to advance the mission of God. That if we're people who are going to who ground ourselves on the sufficiency of God's word, then we're going to embrace that sufficiency when it deals with these topics on the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts. So it may not be a surprise to you if you've been in church very long. The next couple of weeks, we're going to have conversations out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. This is a, the passage. When you start talking about spiritual gifts, this is a passage that we think, oh, it's all about the spiritual gifts. It tells us everything we need to know about the spiritual gifts. The funny thing is, this passage isn't about the gifts. The purpose is not about the gifts. See, when, when Paul wrote this letter to the, Corinthian, to the Corinthian church, he wrote this letter to Corinth. Man, that church was a train wreck. That church was a, like, like, how many of you watch American Idol, right? American Idol. I only like watching the first couple of episodes. I haven't watched it in a while. But the first couple episodes, you get these people that get up there and like, man, I'm so good at singing. And they sing and then Simon Cowell just makes fun of them because they're like, no, you can't sing. Like, that's not your gift. The Corinthian church. Man, they're, 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 man, we excel at the gifts of God. We excel at these things. We excel at God's grace. And Paul's writing them to say, no, no, not, not quite. You don't quite excel at these things. And so Paul writes this letter to Corinth. Uh, he writes to them about what it looks like to have ordered worship. About what it looks like to have authentic love for one another. About how unity should be a mark of the Christian community. That if we are a Christian community, that there should be unity amongst us. And so when you look at this passage on the spiritual gifts, again, it's not really about the spiritual gifts. It's really about the Christian community and understanding how the spiritual gifts bring unity to the local church. But we're going to look at this passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 1, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, and I know some of you uh, like this sort of thing, so I'm going to pause right there. You see that word gifts, and it's not actually in the original Greek. This word gifts was added later when people looked and said, well, they're talking about the gifts. And so what Paul is trying to say is, is concerning spiritual realities, or if you consider yourself a spiritual person. So here's what he's saying. He's saying concerning spiritual realities, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that you, 
when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, they led you. There were other gods, other mute idols that you would follow. Verse 3, therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. I want to just say, how do we understand that? What does that have to do with spiritual gifts? Again, this is where we have to understand a little bit of background on the Corinthian church about those in Corinth. Uh, the, the people in Corinth, they were in a pagan uh, nation. They were not in a godly nation. And so they had this worldly view of spirituality, right? This has a worldly view of spirituality where there was many different gods. So, for example, if you and your spouse are, hey, we want to have a baby. And, and how do we have a baby? Well, there is a, a god of fertility. And you would go and you'd make a sacrifice to the god of fertility and hope that that god would give you the gift of a baby, right? If you were a farmer and you're like, man, I need to make a harvest, you would find the god of the harvest, and you would make a sacrifice to that God and hope that God would, would gift you with a good harvest. If you were sick, you would find the God of that sickness and you would make a sacrifice to that God and hoping that that God would give you the gift of healing over that sickness. And what happens is these Corinthians, they, they, this is a worldly group. This is the paradigm. This is how they grew up living. And now they've come to place their faith in Jesus but they've got this worldly view kind of mixed in. And so they're taking some of Jesus and some of this worldly spirituality and kind of mixing it in together. And so they're looking around and saying, man, I see somebody who's, who's, who's gifted in a specific way. Maybe they're, they're a great preacher. They're gifted that way. They're like, man, I want some of that. How do I get some of that? And so they would have a little bit of Jesus, but then they would seek that gift or that power from these other gods, Right? So they've got one foot in Jesus and one foot seeking these things from some other source other than God. And that's where Paul says, no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And I don't think that what Paul is saying is there's people actually saying this. I think Paul is saying that you can't be a true Christian. You can't be a spirit-filled Christian. While having one foot in with Jesus and one foot into some other spirituality. I think what he's saying is, is, is your life speaks that Jesus is accursed when you are seeking the power and the gifts and the, and the comfort and the peace and the strength that God offers from some other source other than God. That our life says in a very practical way that we don't believe Jesus is enough. When we have one foot in with Jesus and we have one foot trying to seek these things, the gifts, the power, the strength, the influence, the, 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 the peace, whatever it is, from some other source other than Jesus. Think about this in, in marriage. Think about this in marriage. Your spouse says, hey, hey, I love you. I'm for you. I'm with you. You're my everything. But then if your spouse goes and has an affair on you, physical affair, emotional affair. They have an affair on you. Their actions are saying, hey, you are not enough. I'm not fully committed to you. Marriage doesn't work halfway. Marriage doesn't work with one foot in and one foot out. You're either full in in your marriage or not. And it's the same thing with faith. This is why Paul says, uh, next he says, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then you can say that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord is, is a powerful statement. 
It is saying, hey, Jesus, you are the source of power and gifts and peace and joy and strength and comfort. That when we say Jesus is Lord, it means I'm all in on you, Jesus. I'm not going to seek gifts or power or strength or anything from out of their source. I'm getting all my strength and gift and powers and everything from you. That when you say Jesus is Lord, essentially what you're doing is you're going to go all in on Jesus. You are taking all of your chips and saying, I am all in on Jesus 100%. 100% Jesus is the one I'm seeking for all of these other things. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. You're not going to fall short on a daily basis. But it means when you say Jesus is Lord, that the best of you can, you are fighting to trust Jesus for everything in your life. For the spiritual gifts, for power, for peace, for comfort, for strength, and all those other things. Paul's writing to these Corinthian, these Corinthians that they're trying to follow Jesus, but they're also seeking these gifts and these things from some other source, some other God. And Jesus is saying, that's not the way it works. And let me just and pause and, and just say, you know what? There might be some of us in this room that feel like, man, I'm, I'm struggling a little bit with my faith. I'm struggling with, it with my faith. I just don't feel like, like, like I'm not seeing what, what God has promised. And it might just be. Because you're living in two different worlds. Where you've got, you, you've got one foot in with Jesus, but you've got your other foot seeking these things from some other, some other source. You're seeking the power and the strength and the peace and joy from something other than Jesus. Think, of that, but think about this in your life. Do you have one foot with Jesus and one foot in the world? What is it for you? Is it your work? Is it your wealth? Is it your relationship status? Is it your beauty? Is it your reputation? Is it your popularity? That you've got Jesus, but you allow your identity to be built on these other things. Because I think Paul wants us to understand beyond spiritual gifts, that what God wants for us, and where so many of us struggle, is God wants us to go all in on him. That we wouldn't just say with our words, Jesus, I love you, I follow you. But we would allow God to change our heart and our mind and our actions that we would actually go all in on him. And we would seek God in all things. Because when we do it, that is when we experience the life transforming power and strength and comfort and peace that God has offered. If we would just go all in. Instead of trying to have, hey, a little bit of Jesus here and a little bit of this worldly power and influence over there. So with that background, I want to wrestle with a, kind of a foundational message today on, on what are spiritual gifts? What is a spiritual gift? And we're going to look at a couple things from this text that help us understand. And then we're going to come up with a, a definition for what a spiritual gift is. So four things. Number one, spiritual gifts are given by God. And I think I tried to show this to you. I think I tried to say that, that with the Corinthian church, they had one foot in Jesus and one foot trying to get these spiritual gifts from some other place. And God said, no, when you say Jesus is Lord, that he is the source of the spiritual gifts. He's the source of spiritual power. That when you are filled with the Spirit, that, that they come from God alone. They don't come from additional knowledge. Uh, spiritual power doesn't come from a Ouija board. It doesn't come from palm reading or psychotic drugs. Very simply, spiritual gifts come from God. Second thing, uh, the gifts are all very unique. 
Spiritual gifts are unique gifts. And I think the idea of a gift is important because it's different than a natural ability, right? I mean, some of us, we've been born with a natural ability to sing. Like, I claim to be born with that natural ability to sing. Some of you guys were born with a natural ability to dance. And some of you are born with a natural ability to do math. Some of you have the natural ability to, to speak without stuttering over your words. Like, we have these natural abilities. Listen, when you become a Christian, the Bible says that you become a new creation and that God gives you a spiritual gift, which is different than your natural abilities. It's a gift. It's something new. Sometimes these spiritual gifts are, are uh, in rhythm with your natural abilities, kind of like you've got this gift and now it becomes supercharged for the kingdom of God. And sometimes God puts something completely new inside of you, gives you a completely different gift. In fact, I've known a few people who, who hate speaking in public, who hate having to get up in front of people and, and, and speak. But as they follow Christ, man, God has given them the ability to teach and to preach in ways that they're like, man, it's just not natural for me. But God has gifted me to do that. So sometimes these spiritual gifts are, are your natural talents supercharged. And sometimes there's something completely new that God does inside of you. And I say that they are unique gifts because... There's a lot of different types of gifts. They're all unique in themselves. There's a number of lists in the Bible you can look to see what these spiritual gifts are. We're going to look at these in a couple of weeks. But just in this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 8 through 10, there's nine different gifts uh, that, that Paul lists here. Uh, uh, words of wisdom, uh, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of miracles, the gift, the gift of prophecy, the gift of discernment, the gift of tongues, the, different, the gift of interpretation, the gift of uh, uh, interpreting tongues. And so there's all these different lists. There's, there, there's uh, somewhere between four to six lists in the Bible. First uh, Corinthians chapter, you could write these down if you'd like. You can look at these later. First, first Corinthians 12, verse 28. Romans 12, 6 through 8. Ephesians 4, 11. First Peter 4, 11. You see these different lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. And I'll tell you a secret. None of these lists are all the same. They're not like, oh, here's what they are. There's uh, nowhere less than 22 spiritual gifts that the Bible lists in, in, in scriptures to these gifts. I want to say you are free to study these on your own. I will say in a couple of weeks, we're going to have an opportunity to study these spiritual gifts. To have an understanding of what are they? What do they look like? Uh, how do we grasp what they uh, fit into our own church. But the idea is that all these unique gifts that are necessary, that are given by God for the, for the unity and the mission of the church. One of the beautiful things that I love, um, one of the beautiful things I love about this is, is the spirit brings unity to the church, right? When you think about this, you think about every one of us in this room. Listen, we all come to faith in Jesus in the same way. Every one of us, we come to faith in the same way. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how, how you grew up. We all come to Christ in the same way. Broken, sinful, in need of grace and forgiveness. That every one of us in this room, we have the same story. That we were lost, and God found us, and God saved us. And so we have this, this, this unity, this similarity in that story that we are adopted into the family of God in the same way. But then as God bestows upon us these spiritual gifts, it's beautiful because it creates this diversity amongst us where we have different backgrounds, different experiences, different callings, and we have different gifts. 
And God gifts us uniquely so we can work together for the mission of the church. It's a beautiful thing what God does. How he gives us this unity and values our diversity. Third thing about spiritual gifts is, is every believer has one. You ever thought about this? Every believer has one. Verse 7, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit. That every person, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are uniquely gifted by God. Not a single person does not have a gift. One of the things that's, that, that's true, you also have to understand, is I don't think any believer has all of the gifts. We're going to look at, at next week, uh, uh, Corey's going to look at uh, the next couple of verses, and he's going to teach us on the analogy of a body, on how we are a body, and each gift, each member is unique, and we all have to work together to function because no single person has all of the spiritual gifts. So let me ask you this. If, if, if every believer has a gift, do you know what your gift is? Have you ever sought out to find out what your gift is? Do you know how to use your gift in the church? This is important for us to understand because we're going to look next at the reason why the gifts are given. Number four, the reason that we receive gifts is not to show uh, how great we are. It's not to show how spiritual we are and how awesome we are. It's not to make our names great. But the purpose that God gives us gifts is for the common good and the building up of the church as well as the mission of God. Again, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Again, this, this text is written to a specific church. And the problem that they were having in the church at Corinth is some people looked at their spiritual gift and said, Hey, look how awesome I am. I've got this spiritual gift, and that makes me so righteous and special and wonderful, and I'm better than everybody else. Again, this is our fallen nature. Our fallen nature, every one of us, we naturally look for things that set us apart. We look for things that set us apart above everybody else. Hey, look, I'm a little bit wealthier than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm better looking than you. I'm more athletic than you. I'm more moral than you are. I sing better than you do. Whatever it happens to be. And what happened in the Corinthian church is spiritual gifts were used for that purpose. Hey, look at my spiritual gift. It's so important. I'm more important than you are. I'm more spiritual than you are. I'm awesomer than you are. And this is what Paul is trying to say. Spiritual gifts are given for the common good. To serve one another. And that if we begin to boast about our gifts, then we miss the idea of what faith is all about. If we find our spiritual gifts as something that, bo that we boast about, to say, look how spiritual I am, we miss the idea of what faith is all about. Because the gospel tells us, again, the gospel says that our absolute approval before God is not on what we've done, it's what Jesus has done for us. That our righteousness comes from Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross. That our debt to sin is paid by Jesus. And when we place our faith in him, that God no longer sees us in our sin. He sees us in Jesus' righteousness. That means that we can be seen as being no better before God. Like we are, are seen as high as we can be seen by God. And we, when we begin to think our gifts set us apart, our gifts makes us more spiritual. It shows that we've not really grasped the reality of the gospel. 
That we had this great need before God and God filled it in Jesus. In fact, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends the disciples out on a preaching tour. He sends them out preaching into the, 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 the area. And they come back. They're all excited. They're all jazzed. Verse 17, they come back and it's like, Jesus, this is awesome. Even the demons, they submit to us in your name. They're like, Jesus, we're so spiritual and awesome. Jesus is like, hey, that's really cool. But I don't want you to rejoice in that. I want you to rejoice that your name is written in the book of life, in the book of heaven. See, he's saying spiritual gifts are not for your own benefit. They're not to show how spiritual you are. They're not to show how special and wonderful you are. The spiritual gifts are meant for the common good and for the building up of the church. That we come together and our gifts are not to say I'm better than you are. They're to serve you and to to grow together. And they're also there for the mission of the church. Again, this is where we say, well, what's the mission of the church? The mission of the church is to, to glorify God in the world, to save sinners, and to build the church. And God gives us these gifts so we can continue the mission that he's given us. In fact, John chapter 14, we're going to look at this uh, in a couple of weeks. Or we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, excuse me. John 14 verse 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me also will do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. See, when he says greater works are you guys going to be able to do, it's not to say you're going to do greater things than Jesus ever did. No, he's saying greater in extent. That now that the Holy Spirit is not just centered on Jesus, but now we all have the Holy Spirit, that collectively we can do more for the kingdom of God than Jesus could ever do on his own. We can, we can share the gospel with more people. We can influence more people because now God has equipped us to be a part of that mission. And so God is saying, I got Jesus, and now I have all of us who are going to be using our gifts to expand the kingdom of God. That we have a greater reach and a greater impact. And so spiritual gift, here's what we have seen, spiritual gifts. Four things that we learn about them. They're given by God. They are a unique set of gifts that every believer has one. And their purpose is for the common good and the building up of the church and the mission of God. So here's our definition. Here's our working definition of what we're going to look at for the rest of this gifts conversation about the spiritual gift. Spiritual gifts are unique gifts from God that are given to pursue the unity and the mission of the church. That is what a spiritual gift is. A unique gift given to you by God to pursue the unity and the mission of the church. Again, I say to you, do you know what your gift is? You ever sought to know, God, how have you wired me to serve your kingdom? To be a part of the unity and the mission of the church. And I want to kind of close by kind of wrapping this all up and putting a little bow on it for us this morning. These gifts, we all are uniquely given a gift by God to pursue the unity and the mission of the church. And let me make just a bold statement here. I think that real church happens when everybody participates. I think real church happens when every one of us recognize that we are gifted by God and we have a purpose and a calling to participate in the mission. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26. We'll look at this in a couple weeks. Paul writes and says, when you come together, so when you gather together, 
Each person has a hymn or a teaching or a revelation or a tongue or an interpretation. And everything is to be done for the building up. The scriptural expectation is that when we gather together as a church, that everybody comes with something to give. That we don't come just to receive, but we actually come with something to give. Let me paint it for you in, in what I call the NBA effect. Okay? Some of you are not sports fans. Some of you, you are. This is going to be right up your alley. Okay? LeBron James, the best NBA player in our generation. I'm just going to say that. No, he's not the best of all time. Michael Jordan still holds that spot. But LeBron James, the best player in our generation. And when LeBron James came out and he's playing in Cleveland and he's doing all these great things in Cleveland, despite the fact that he's the best player in the world, despite the fact that he has the biggest platform out of all the other athletes, despite the fact that you can go anywhere in the world and they know who LeBron James is, they can say his name. On his own, he could not win a championship. Seven years in a row, being the best player in the world, he could not lead that team to a championship. And then what happened? Sports fans. LeBron left Cleveland, and he goes to Miami, and he teams up with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And what happens? He wins two championships. Yeah, he became a hated player because he left, but he did it. And then he comes back to Cleveland, and he teams up with Kyrie Irving. And what happens with Kyrie Irving? He wins another championship. See, when we look at the unity and the mission that that God has called us to, it takes more than one skill set or one uber-gifted man or woman to accomplish the unity and the mission of the church. That was never God's plan or God's intent to make it all about one person. God's plan and intent has always been to use every single person To give us all a gift that we would be used for the common good and the building up and the mission of the church. Listen, is that your expectation of church? Is that your expectation? Is that when you come, you have something to give? Honestly, I don't know if we have set church up always to be done in the best way. Because sometimes it feels like you come at a church and, well, there's the worship team up there. And they're giving to you and you're receiving and then the pastor comes up and he preaches and he's, he's giving to you. And again, you're receiving. We think, well, that's good. I need to be filled up. But when we look at the gospel of Jesus, the mission of God, it doesn't move forward on the backs of a few gifted people. The mission of God transforms the world through the multitudes There are people like you and me, ordinary, faithful people who are spiritually empowered men and women. That is how the the mission of God transforms the world. When everyone has recognized we have a part to play, not just to receive, but to give. Man, I love reading about heroes of the faith. Guys like Jonathan Edward, Billy Graham, Rick Warren, Jenny Allen. I love reading about these people. And I I don't want to take anything away from those giants of the faith. But I think the Bible is clear that the greatest in the kingdom of, greatest person in the kingdom of God is to be someone that we've never heard of. Someone who suffered immensely with great joy. 
Someone who pushed back against the darkness of this world. Someone who brought order to the chaos by power of the Holy Spirit. And somebody who has done it when nobody ever saw. Nobody recognized them, but they were faithful. In fact, when I think about our church, man, I love the season we're in. I love the season we're in as a church. It's beautiful. Our kids' ministry, you see these kids up here? It's rocking. Kids coming out of the woodwork. I love seeing this. The, the, the music, the worship ministry just continues to, to blow up. I, I love it. The preaching, it's okay. It's okay. Like, I love the season we're in at church. But you know what I love more? I get the privilege of talking to people who visit the church. And I love hearing time and time and time again. And your church is so welcoming. Your church is so loving and friendly. Not because we have a a, a few gifted leaders, but because there are people under the radar sitting in the pews who are loving and reaching out and welcoming and offering encouragement and praying with. That is the beauty of the church. And let me just say, listen, I'm excited to have these conversations about the gifts. I'm excited for the next couple of weeks to, to understand how the gifts work in the body of Christ, how our gifts are rooted in love, and to understand uh, what the spiritual gifts are and how we can find out what our, gifts are, what our gift is. But above all of that, what I want you to get out of this conversation on the spiritual gifts is you don't get to come and just be a, a part of the audience. You're part of the actors. You're part of the team. And I want to invite you to join us, to link arms, to figure out what our gifts are and how we can serve together. And let's pray that God uses the multitude of us to make a difference in this city for the kingdom of God. We pray for you.